Hi guys, welcome back to my channel. If you guys don't know who I am, my name is Sibianca and I'm a doctor of pharmacy in the US. Here on this channel, we talk about pharmacy, career-related tips, and productivity. I'm living my best life and I'm here to help you live your best life. Today, I have another podcast episode for you and it is with a current second year fellow in H-E-O-R. His name is Soham and I honestly had a great time interviewing him. I think he did a great job answering the questions that I asked in a very, very unique way. And I actually think this is so useful for anyone out there who's either interested in industry, interested in a fellowship, is in pharmacy school and is looking for different career options and just wants advice in general, anyone who is interested in industry, even if you aren't in pharmacy school and are interested in this field, I think it's definitely worth a listen. So I hope that this is helpful for you guys. We do a bit of an intro in the interview itself, so I'm just gonna go ahead and play that. And again, as always, I really, really, really do hope this is helpful for you guys. Thank you for joining me, of course. Um, for those who don't know, this is Soham. Um, do you guys do want to go ahead and introduce yourself and I guess what you do um, and where, um, what program you're in and everything? Sure. So uh, my name is Soham Shukla. I'm currently at GSK in the Global Value Evidence and Outcomes Group. It's a health economics and outcomes research group. Um, so it's based out of the Philadelphia area. And I'm a pharmacist by training. So I did my PharmD training at Rutgers University. Um, and right after that, I kind of went into this program. Uh, I always had an interest in things like market access and HEOR, which is health economics outcomes research and that kind of research piece and showing the value of drugs. And so that's why I'm doing this two-year fellowship with GSK and actually it's in collaboration with Rutgers. The HOPE, it stand, Rutgers HOPE stands for Health Outcomes Policy and Economics. So I really like that acronym, but that's the academic partner for this fellowship. And both of these programs give me a didactic as well as hands-on training in HUR because it's kind of a technical field. And so I didn't get as much exposure to that in pharmacy school. And so I wanted to do this right after that training to build upon those foundations. And I'm really liking it so far. It's like I'm, I'm a year into my fellowship now. I felt like I've learned a lot already and it's still a lot to go as well. That's awesome. I'll definitely ask you more about that. Um, but yeah, now that everyone knows kind of who you are, um, I was mm -hmm. actually thinking about this earlier and I was like, I don't even know where we met um, mm -hmm. first. I don't, was it through something pharmacy? Was it through dance? I have no idea. I think it was through dance. Uh, you did the IFA Awards, right? With Yes. So I think that's the first, I was aware of you before that, but I think that's actually the first time we met. And actually through that experience, we didn't talk so much as well, but I was like, oh yeah, I know her. Kind of cool to meet another person who's in pharmacy and also dancing, because that doesn't happen too often. I think a lot of people, pharmacy gets so hard that they quit dancing after a little while, but I'm glad both of us were at least still able to keep it up and now are still also keeping it up even after our schooling is done. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I completely forgot about mm -hmm. IFA, but wow, you were it's right. A, it's so long ago now. It's like three was, years ago. But, yeah, that was a long yeah. time ago. Wow, that's insane. Um, so I'm going to shift gears a little bit um, for everyone. I guess I haven't even prepped so home with these questions. So um, if yeah. you <laughs> need some time, let me know. Um, but I basically just want to touch upon different things in regards to fellowship, um, the mid-year process, and just being in the industry in general. Um, sure. Well, let's tackle mid-year first. Um, what in general are your thoughts about mid-year? Um, if there was one thing you could change about the whole process, and this is in a non-COVID world, um, what uh -huh. would that be? Sure, yeah. So mid-year, as everyone will tell you, was a zoo, and it's kind of, it feels always like an unnatural way to 
go through this job application process. This is always surrounded with all of the stress because at the end of the day, all you want to do for yourself when you're looking for programs, like I want to meet people that I feel like I really connect with. And I want to go after a program where I feel like I'll be getting what I want out of it, meaning to get some kind of learning and development out of it, accelerate my career, launch my career, go really far. And so mid-year was, I think before this year and has been in many previous years, um, the one way to get at it. Everyone felt like, oh, I have to go to mid-year. It's going to be three days. And added that after the three days, I'm either going to have a fellowship, which is what I was like tunnel vision towards doing for all these, you know, from all of P4 year, even P3 year, if you're thinking about industry. And it's like, it's like do or die, right? Mm -hmm. And so that part of it always felt a little bit unnatural to me. Um, however, it is a really quick and neat way to meet a lot of people really quickly. And like interviewing is something that's, it's practice. It's a skill that you get better at just by doing more and more. And so in those three days feel like a lifetime. And from your first interview to your 20th interview, you feel like you've made an un, unfathomable jump in your interviewing skills, your ability to kind of pick up on what people are saying, carry a conversation, all these kind of skills that will translate to being doing well in the, in the pharmacy profession, in the, in the industry. And so um, I think that's what you really want to focus on throughout the process. It's going to look a little different this year because of COVID. It might be more spread out. It might, you might be talking to people differently now virtually. It's actually virtual. Huh? Yeah. So mid-year is going to be virtual. So <laughs> we have to see how that's going to work. But yeah. if you really get to the crux of it, it's like trying to get at the people and trying to figure out um, what they're trying to say and what they're trying to share about the program and comparing across different people that you're talking to. And being able to synthesize all of that information at once and then taking a step back and then picking, picking one, making a decision where you want to go. Mm -hmm. um, if you had to, I guess, fix one thing or change one thing about the whole process in general, or um, I guess it doesn't even have to be process related. Um, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of clouding around, I think, the core parts and like what, I'm, what I was trying to say in the previous answer. So everything that's not is either detracting from that, I would get rid of. And so these are certain things like um, the application process. Some, some programs require a lot of different things that um, you feel like are requirements because it's just the process that you just mindlessly go through. And so I would try to thin some of that out because now it's virtual. It's going to be even harder to make the connection. So if people are already stressed about how am I going to make connections with my enough preceptors to get recommendation letters or, um, uh, how am I, how am I going to, you know, figure out how I should format my letter of interest? Should I send virtual thank you cards or should I send virtual thank you emails? All that stuff, I think is just clouding the process of just trying to get to know someone in the time you have to talk, right? So if you kind of get rid of all that stuff, you can spend more time doing research on companies. You can spend more time reaching out to people on LinkedIn and setting up informal one-on-ones before mid-year or whenever your interview is to learn more, speak to the current people at the company that's what I think should be your limited time that you have between now and virtual mid-year. Yeah. Um, no, I think both answers of yours, I think mean, you summed it up really well. Um, obviously, have, having gone through mid-year this past year, I completely agree. I think there are parts of the process that, like you said, really cloud the true intention of it all. Um, mm. It already kind of feels... Um, like not reality, right? Like it's, that's not how it happens in the real world, like you said. So um, I really agree with that. And, and that's a point that I kind of always 
hone upon if, if anyone asks me is like everyone is always so worried about you know the paper clips and the staples and the thank you notes and it's like yeah those are really not what it's about if you're if every if even if you don't do any of that and you're a good candidate you will probably get picked so it doesn't really matter at the end of the day um but no, that's um, a really good point for all of that. So thank you for that. Um, mm -hmm. Next, if someone were to be going into their first year of their fellowship right now, so people probably started about a month ago, um, yeah. what are one or two things, pieces of advice that you would have for them? Um, and maybe you don't have to make it COVID specific, but since you've been working remotely as well, um, yeah. I can only imagine how hard it is to start remotely in a fellowship. So if you have any specific tips, um, then go for it. Yes, that's a great question. Yeah, I'll answer it in both the general non-COVID related way and the COVID one. So okay. one thing, whether in your fellowship or not, or just starting your first career, like now you're not a student anymore, you're flipping the switch. I think one thing that I wanted to say to everyone out there is that something called imposter syndrome is totally normal. It's something that I definitely felt when I started the fellowship. I remember my first week I sat down and my preceptor gave me this project to do or was pulling me into this meeting asked me review this add your comments to this what do you think about this we have this problem can you fix it and i'm sitting there i'm like wow i just like finished pharmacy school am i really prepared to answer these things like some some of these things the buck stops with me right it's like she's asking me uh, to fix a, a certain thing and if i work on it is it really the best thing i really want people to double check my work triple check my work i felt like an imposter sitting in this hur professional's role and more talk to fellows, um, people who had recently completed their fellowship, people who were like 30 years into their career said that kind of syndrome is totally normal and you're not alone in feeling it. A lot of fellows and new professionals will pre-field that way. And the way to get past that is to kind of just believe and tell yourself the reasons why you got the role, right? People that have a lot more experience than you interviewed you and saw something in you that they knew would be right for this role. And they didn't actually just give it to you to take it with you and run. It's going to be a process and a development process and they're going to teach you things along the way and you're still going to learn but in the meantime still hone down on your strengths and try to bring your own new perspective point of view to things as you're trying to solve problems in the virtual world um, one of the things that everyone wants to do right when they get at the company is making connections with people right and so it's easier on the office because you're walking around you can talk to someone for five minutes just over a coffee if they're not in your direct line of work like the people that you're working with and so I think that's a lot harder to accomplish in the COVID world. Mm -hmm. um, different companies have thresholds on how much they use video. Like people at my company uh, uh, will only sometimes use their videos. Uh, and I've met people like people outside the company, they may not use their videos as often. And so one of the tips I gave to people is that most people don't mind turning on their videos. It's just if they're caught off guard and they're not, maybe not dressed a certain professional level, they may not, not want to do it. And so the best way to get around that is maybe put in your email saying, oh, we have this meeting later today. If you feel comfortable, turn on your video. So they're expecting it and they might take an extra second to get themselves ready. And that actually does wonders in increasing the amount that people use their videos on phone calls. Um, um, but tips I like that, yeah, keep looking for on how to make connections. Sorry, I just want to sum it up. Second thing is a great tip and I need to take this, um, like I will be using that um, yeah. forward because like you know, I also started a role during COVID um, and in my internships I was great about that. I was great about reaching out to people and networking because that was why I was in the internship mainly. Um, mm -hmm. But I've definitely slowed down and tried to just grasp the role right now. So that is mm -hmm. a good reminder for myself. But the first thing that you mentioned, um, I think is something that people don't talk about enough. Actually, I don't mm -hmm. know if I've 
ever heard um, anyone give that as a piece of advice. Like maybe if you were to directly ask someone, they'd be like, yeah, I feel that way. Um, and it's normal to feel that way, but no one, at least to me, has ever come out and been like, that is my piece of advice. And I think that that's really important because especially when you're going through the interview process, you're trying to convince everyone that you're this great like candidate, which I'm yeah. sure you are, but like, like everyone says, like you, they know you're coming in with no experience, but it's something else to feel that. And I think that, like I said, I'm currently definitely feeling that. So that's definitely like a sound bite I want to take from this yeah. um, because I don't think people talk about it enough. Um, so really good point there. Like this is like personally helping me. Like I don't know if anyone no. else is listening to this. That's all we want. Like, personal help. One person. Yeah, no worries. Um, so I guess let's switch into talking about the pharmaceutical industry. Um, I guess specifically on my channel, I've um, talked about that. It's very obvious that's been my interest for a while and that's obviously what I pursued. Um, and so have you. So now that you've been at a bigger pharma company for a year, um, what would you say are a couple big pros um, and one or two cons about working in the pharmaceutical industry as a PharmD? Yes. And I'd just like to start by saying everything that we're talking about in the video today are my own views and they don't reflect that of GSK or Rutgers. Um, but I think it's a really good uh, question to ask of people on their own personal pros and cons to their experience. And so some of the pros I think are um, getting to really get at um, putting the clinical and the science and like the really interior want to do good together with kind of the business and the operational mechanisms to make these things a reality, right? Like a lot of people, when their kids are like, I want to grow up to cure cancer, right? And they, it's such an abstract idea at that point. What the pharmaceutical industry does is kind of take all these, putting all these different pieces together to make that a reality. And that's one of the things I've learned about working at a bigger pharmaceutical company is all these different people that are all doing their part to play into the larger scheme. And like, um, when we set goals for ourselves, every department sets their own goals. And it's, it's like a, it's a little goal that's an operational piece to get at the bigger goals of the company. And the bigger goals of the company are always going to be helping the best medicines get to the patient. Mm -hmm. And so what I've tried to do in my role is um, not only work in my department, meet people in the lab that are doing the lab work and the bench research or meeting people in the commercial department that are working on making these advertisements or directed uh, uh, physician pieces and things like that um, and it kind of related to that would be the con of uh, working in big environments and so sometimes if you don't keep this line of sight towards the end goal it can be really easy to get lost right you kind of get stuck in your own work or you don't you miss the bigger picture of it and so it can get kind of monotonous and with any big company it's such a complex machine there's gonna be a lot of processes that may at face value you think it's gonna slow things down or I have to get approval for this thing I have to really check, double check with 10 different people to make sure we're doing this the most optimized way. Um, and so if you kind of bring those two together, the pro and the con of this kind of concept, uh, that's one thing I'm still working out is, and, it, and I think the way to get at it is just by talking to people that have more experience to me, leveraging the really experience at the company um, to really uh, learn and develop along this line. Yeah. Um... From, from what I have in terms of experience, which is not years, but um, I totally agree with you. And I guess my experience is a little different. I've always been at either smaller to mid-size yeah. um, companies, but even then I think um, really understanding and grasping that you know, end goal is actually really important. And I think that that's something, even in the CRO world, it's like you always have to kind of know 
who you're talking to, who is the end goal, mm -hmm. who is this for? Um, so I think that's a really, really good point. Um, kind of going off of that, as a PharmD, um, do you feel like you were well equipped to come into this role in the industry um, as a PharmD as opposed to not coming in as a PharmD? And I know that you're in a fellowship, so I know things might be different, but I guess imagine a world where this was just the job um, Mm -hmm. and you have the fellowship portion. Um, of course, people come into the industry without a PharmD. Um, I guess to the best of your ability, how would yeah. you, and are you thankful that you have a PharmD to come into this? Yes. Yeah, I think where I'm currently sitting is a good, is in a good place to be able to answer that because where in my department, the people I work with, some of them have PharmDs, some of them have PhDs in HEOR or related epidemiology kind of scientists, and some of them have masters of public health in the very public health focus and some of them have masters of science in like HUR. So it's kind of different backgrounds people are coming into. Um, but of the ones I mentioned, I think uh, the PharmDs have the strongest uh, clinical background and training. And so at the core, when you're working at a pharmaceutical company and if your company is larger and it's working in multiple disease states, having that ability to really understand the nuances of different diseases and then understand how to bring value to each of those is really important. Um, and so that's one of the ways I, I go out of my way to try to differentiate myself on the team. Um, and I try to set up the team so that everyone's playing to their strengths. So like the PhDs that are coming in, they're super strong methodologically. And so when they're designing the studies, you ask them directed questions about, oh, is this the best way to do things? Mm -hmm. And then the PharmDs or even some of the MDs that are in this space that have that clinical background can sometimes take a step back and look at it from a high level strategic piece and seeing, okay, well, this is the medicine. This is, this is the disease that we're working in. These are the medicines currently available. This is still the gaps in therapy. You know, I did my rotations. I did my rotation actually in oncology units um, in the hospital. And then now I'm working on, on oncology products. So I'm able to think back all of my rotations. I remember some of these patients had limited treatment options, but they were complaining about certain symptoms and how the, treat, how the chemotherapy was affecting them and bringing those pearls into it um, during meetings uh, is, is really vital. And so I, I'm really thankful I did the PharmD because I, uh, I kind of figured out how to use it to leverage and differentiate myself on the teams and bring in, a, I think, a critical piece. Yeah, that's awesome. I think um, people generally do say that, right? Like PharmDs are an asset, but I think you went well into depth as to why. And I think that that's mm -hmm. differentiating between the different pieces. And at the end of the day, I think you need every one of those pieces. Like a PhD has its own value and an MD has its own value. Um, but I'm glad that you highlighted the PharmD value in that way. Um, yeah. Kind of coming off of that, um, again, I think this might be... Um, the way you answer this might be very dependent on you going to Rutgers, but do you feel like um, your um, PharmD specifically and this, the um, curriculum that you got helped you succeed yeah. um, in pharmacy? And, and kind of going off of that, like, did you do anything in school or did your school help you specifically for APOR? Because that's something that I don't think anyone mm -hmm. even hears of in pharmacy school, or at least I didn't. Um, yeah. So, uh, apart from like metaphors and stuff like that, that's something you can kind of still hear about. HR is definitely very different. Trying to stab at that in whatever way you want. <laughs> yes, thanks for asking that question because I definitely do have opinions on that. So I was in pharmacy school at Rutgers, which is very industry friendly, a lot of like, it's a hub of industry. So there's a lot of exposure to there, like literal fellows were teaching some of my classes. So it's very easy to network with them. 
but I was part of AMCP, the Academy of Managed Care Pharmacy. Um, I had like a national position there, which allowed me to work with schools of pharmacy across the nation. Um, and chap the, the schools that had AMCP chapters. And so I, that's the first time I realized, I was like, wow, the AMCP chapter at Rutgers is 20, 30 people large. However, there's some of these other schools in different regions of the United States that had much smaller chapters and they were kind of struggling to get that kind of same exposures. And that's actually why I would do these outreaches, trying to connect larger schools of pharmacy with more industry impact with some of the ones that had more minimal one. And through that, I kind of learned some of the hurdles that they had to get through to even set up these chapters or set up IPHO chapters or are there different like um, DIA chapters, different organizations trying to get some kind of industry that supplemented their education as opposed to being integral to the education, right? It was always something you had to find extra time to do mm-hmm. and also break all these barriers of some of their administration, maybe limiting these opportunities. And so I think that's a big gap that we need to fill out is looking at the farm D as a way to achieve different kinds of job uh, job roles, right? Expanding our role. It's the only thing that's going to keep up with this pace of newly opening pharmacy schools, the influx of pharmacists, and the decreasing job share of the traditional community or even hospital pharmacists mm-hmm. and residencies. Like if you look at the fellowship rates, there's nothing compared to residency rates and application rates, and, right? So it's only to our benefit to have each school um, expand the opportunities available to students. And so right now, I think it is, going out of your curriculum and reaching out to people now through LinkedIn, that's a great resource to kind of figure people out and find out what people are doing and reaching out to them for 30 minute one-on-ones and kind of offbeat uh, tactics to learn more and then looking at different websites. So like H-E-O-R, the ISPOR website is like a treasure trove of stuff. So if you're trying to self-teach your thing, self-teach yourself this, you go to these websites that professional organizations maintain to learn about it. And these are some of the things I did um, in my, in, during my pharmacy school. That's awesome. Um, and it's also interesting that, um, you know, you were at a school that is known to be, uh, um, has good knowledge and good connections with the industry and you still had to go out of your way, um, mm-hmm. to gather this information and, and do that yourself. So I think, I agree. I think on a systematic level, um, you know, the administrations of different schools do need to implement, um, I guess at least a range of variety as for options. Um, and I think it, it's the easiest to go from like a pharmacology class to be like, this is how it will be applied in a hospital. Um, yeah. To even branch out in little moments like that to be like, but this is also how it would be applied in XYZ scenarios. So good point there. Um, kind of looking into the future, I don't, I mean, this is not an answer that I'm like looking you to be like um, God in or anything, but especially because of COVID um, and everything that's happening and you experiencing it firsthand, especially in oncology. I know when I was in my rotation, um, my last rotation at a CRO, we were dealing with oncology and it's, that's a complete different world right now in COVID. Um, so in terms of the next few years, um, how do you see the industry changing, um, whether on a global scale or for PharmDs or for, you know, just in any way or shape or form you want to talk about it? Yeah. So I think all throughout life, every aspect of life, COVID is making people reassess what actually is possible. There are some things that were written off two years ago. We'd never be able to be a fully remote company or we'd never have to deal with certain things that we're being forced to look at right now, like like kids, right, in school. We're never going to be like, oh, we have to make sure kindergarten is achievable through remote learning opportunities. So that's one thing that pharma is being forced to do. 
And I think it's just going to better the system that pharma is, right? Because right now, the lens is on us to deliver a safe, effective vaccine as quickly as possible. But then also a lot of things you don't think about, right? Like, so like making it equally available across the world and making sure that it's fairly available and things like that and stuff like that. So, and deliver it quickly. So uh, I think that's one way that pharma is going to benefit in the, in the way it can kind of accelerate and collaborate to make these really uh, insurmountable tasks achievable in a way that's super efficient, super optimized, and, and widely on a volume basis available to people. And mm -hmm. so that's something that every company you can see is doing at their own pace. Some companies are really well positioned to pivot really quickly and get things moving. Other companies now have to figure out ways to make things uh, more um, streamlined to move forward. And so I think um, we're really applying it to vaccines right now, but once we figure it out, we're going to apply it to stuff like oncology. We'll apply it to other disease states, you know, chronic disease states, even like dyslipidemia or stuff like that. And we'll, um, we'll get there as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's a good point to, to mention that you have to think past um, the initial problem solver, which like you were saying, getting it to people's mm -hmm. safety, thinking about what comes after that. These are things I think that, you know, normally in a pharma company you think about, you know, the safety average profile. You don't know that until the drug is marketed and you have to, three years of data and things like that. But to the outside world, yeah. it's like not a thing. Um, and I think that it's, you know, good that you mentioned it, even if like students are listening to this to be like, you should think like that. Um, that's mm -hmm. kind of a way of thinking where it's not, you know, surface level, you should kind of go past that. So I like that answer. Um, Thank you. Think a little more to students and, and yeah. uh, help for students. Um, you mentioned AMCP. Um, and I think for, people uh, interested in industry, the one thing that you always hear is IPHO, IPHO, IPHO. Um, do you have any other resources or do you think there are any other resources that students can either be involved in or um, just learn from, like you mentioned, um, during their schooling years to better prepare for the industry if that's something they're interested in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think those resources are good. So. I think organizations are a great way to build your network really large, right? So you can get to know people that are pharmacy students or, or these like people in IPHO or AMCP across the nation. Um, I think I mentioned like stuff like the ISPOR website or other guidance documents that kind of, or webinars, right? There are a lot of webinars nowadays that'll teach you something. But then the third piece of it, I think is trying to find good mentors. Like a person you have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with that you can continue to foster throughout your pharmacy school. It'd be great if you identify them early and then continue that relationship. But that kind of coaching along the way is really invaluable. And so I think the world is going to be, a, it's a lot smaller now because of technology. And so the best place to find your mentor would be someone that you can meet with in person, maybe a faculty member at your school that's involved in the industry or someone that lives around your the town that your school is in. But if you can't go there, try to go broader and reach out to people on LinkedIn that you can talk to, introduce yourself. You might make that initial introduction to trying to figure out what they do at their company. But if you really hit it off, then you can ask them, can I follow up with you in a couple of months and check in with you and tell you how I'm doing? Or if I have questions along the way, can I reach out to you in this really targeted sense? And having that kind of time-bound mentoring relationship will be really invaluable to helping you keep chipping away and getting to a place where you'll be really, really competitive for a fellowship or entry-level job in industry and also well-prepared to do really well at it because you'll have figured out a lot of problems that you will face in your fellowship. Yeah, I think that is such a good point and something that I learned 
maybe way too late in the game. And I, I always say there's never, it's never too late. And I do mm -hmm. uh, think that it's never too late, but that is something that again, no one ever talks about. And it is so important. Like everyone always talks about networking, but kind of going one step forward and, and actually, uh, you know, talking to someone at a mentor level, one or two people um, and getting that type of insight is so important. And it's something that I'm even dealing with right now where it's like you, you know, think someone's a mentor and that's great, but it's not directly in your line. So then you're like, okay, let's refocus this. Um, mm -hmm. But that's a great yeah. point. Yeah, that's great key. Yeah, it's like kind of repivoting and never too late. Like that's great advice to be sharing out there because it helps people not get discouraged if they don't have it right away or don't get it right the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's like, it's like finding, it's like harder than finding good friends right like it's like mm -hmm. you have to find the right person for like yeah. the right it's a it's a job in your life um and, and you want the mentorship from the right person so i'm glad you mentioned that um and then also for students now that you've been in the working world for a year um obviously things are very different in the working world and there's so much that we could probably go into that you know is not mentioned in school and that you just either learn on the fly or you learn by experience um but what advice do you have for people who are newly grads and coming into the job force in terms of transition in terms of all that stuff what whatever you've learned in the last year um any pieces of advice there yeah i think it's all about the people and one thing i thought was one thing that you see in school versus the real world is a school is always like a bubble at, at one level everyone's speaking the same language like your peers are all your age your professors are all a certain age above you but they're all you all have you have a certain kind of relationship with them and that dictates the conversation in the real world and in the working world it's like a totally open game people are coming from as many backgrounds as there are people they all have different job functions and so they have different things driving them and driving the conversations and so one of the things that you will quickly learn or you should focus on learning when you enter the job first is becoming better listeners because now you're, you have to get used to listening to things that you're not always expecting. It's going to be different perspectives and, and then becoming better talkers. Uh, and so those go hand in hand. So with my field, it's a specific thing to become a better talker because it's a really complex idea that not a lot of people understand and being able to translate that into layman's terms that other people can interpret understand and then get on board with right because i mentioned before we're all going toward the same goal right so you have to kind of get people on board at a certain level and so being a better listener to understand what drives and motivates other people and then communicating what you're doing in a way that they can understand and then give you feedback on too so they can actually pivot the way you're going a little bit and change direction and make it even better mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's um, a really good piece of advice. And again, you're speaking to me because um, I, I definitely agree with that. And specifically, like I can kind of take that immediately. Like I'm at a CRO, so it's, yeah. I'm dealing with, you know, not only people in my team and at my company, but um, other sponsor companies. So your end of the things. And mm -hmm. in, in that way, people are coming with a completely different agenda um, from a completely different background. And so just to kind of come together in that and communicate correctly and get things done um, is a process of, in and of itself. So uh, mental note there as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but those are all the questions I had now that I've grilled no. you. <laughs> um, wow, I, that was so quick. That was awesome. <laughs> I just wanted to leave, I guess, this time. Um, if you have any other piece of advice, um, I think Generally, my audience are um, 
filled with PharmDs and are interested in this field from what I can tell. Um, I've yeah. put a few videos out and there's a good amount of people who have actually reached out and either been like, this is awesome, it's helpful, this is something I'm interested in, or hey, I'm looking to change into industry and this and this and this. So um, I think it's like a really good audience for that. So if you have any general advice, it doesn't have to be fellowship or mid-year related or even industry related. Um, but if you have any advice, this is kind of open floor. <laughs> or yes. just talk to me about sure. it. We can talk. <laughs> No worries. Well, yeah, one of the things I wanted to mention is a lot of, I thanks for explaining your like target audience to me. And it, it's really helpful when you're a PharmD as either as a student or someone in, in, the, in uh, working in pharmacy that wants to make a career change. But I want to balance all the stuff I said with another thing that I found makes life really easy is that seeing everyone as just a human at the end of the day and trying to stop, put lab stop putting labels or hierarchies, which is really easy to do in industry, right? Because there's someone you're reporting into and they're in higher and you're talking to someone else like, oh, the senior VP. But at the end of the day, if you look at people just as a human being and you try to listen to them and connect with them, it makes everything a lot easier and it helps smooth out all the stuff that you're trying to achieve, right? It helps smooth out, you'll lower your stress level and it'll smooth out the communication and your development processes and things like that. And so that's one of the things I would try to focus on. It doesn't matter what your background is. If you look at everyone, you're talking to just another human being, they're trying, they're trying to work through their own stuff at the end of the day. Um, it's like a really, I think, healthy way to look at things and focus on self-care and stuff like that. Yeah, that was like overall great life advice. <laughs> like no yeah, matter where you are, right. like with friends, yeah. family, professional, that is like baseline mm -hmm. such great advice <laughs> yep. um, sorry. Um, no but yeah if you have um, nothing else to say I don't have any other questions um, of course thank you I think your insight um, is helpful like I said not only for for me but I think that other people are starting to listen and and um, yeah. I think this is insightful and and as you were speaking I think there were definitely some um, bits that I want to take and really highlight because um, there are some sure. important things that you've highlighted that I, at least in again my personal experience even just through normal you know LinkedIn networking calls um, that I've never heard and I think that that would be helpful for others so um, thank no, you yeah. for joining me yeah thanks so much for setting this up I'm really glad I got a chance to talk to you asked like great questions and it's been a great chance to collaborate with you I would put a shout out there to our the dance video that we also did. So we're literally Wait, killing it, it on both sides. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pictures, I'll put it in the end. Of this. Yeah, we are on the same page. But yeah, definitely <laughs> able to collaborate with you. And it was a great, really great pleasure talking to you. Uh, yeah. yeah, so thanks very much. Of course. Can I open the floor? And if anyone's interested, um, they're okay to reach out to you on LinkedIn? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, you can tag me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to talk to anyone. Cool. Thank you so, so much. I will connect with you offline, but thank you so much for this and have a good one. And that's a wrap. As you guys can tell, Soham definitely has a lot of insight into not only his role and a fellowship, but being a professional in general and kind of transitioning from being a student to being a professional in the real life world. So as always, I do hope today's interview was helpful for you guys, but even if you guys didn't take away anything, it was honestly very helpful for me. Personally, I will be taking away some tips and applying them to my professional life. So I just wanna quickly thank Soham for joining. If you guys are not already, please do subscribe to my channel and just hit the notification button so that you're notified every single time I upload a new video, which is every single Monday. That's it for this video and you guys We'll see me next week. Thanks, guys.